0: Listening to Two Girls One Podcast, which used to be about internet culture but had to make a hard pivot to true crime. That's right. Ever since Serial and Making a Murderer, the kids don't want silly chat shows. They want podcasts that solve crimes and make the world a better place. And by God, that's what this show is going to do. Wait a minute. I'm being told this week's episode is just talking about murders. Wait a minute, I'm also being told it's actually talking about a different podcast, which talks about murders. I honestly can't tell if that's meta or lazy. And now here are the hosts always on the lookout for a good stabbing, Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula.
1: Everyone, I'm Jen. And I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls (laughs) One Podcast. Uh,
2: You know, we didn't discuss that, and I'm glad everyone was on the same page. That was a great sound effect right there.
1: Matt's been waiting to pull that one out for a while, I feel like, right, Matt? Yeah, it's been
3: it's been eighty eighty-eight episodes and finally got to use it. Yeah.
1: Is that why you're telling us to up the energy at the top of the show so that can like be a comedic (laughs) contrast? Maybe. Ooh, guys, I just I'm got my phone. never stepping on the floor. in Matt's
2: house again. You <laughs> drop your phone. Go! No! <laughs> That's basically a 2019 murder.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is a comedy podcast, but Ali and I are performers who created a show where we murdered people. <laughs> We created a show where we performed internet material on stage as different characters. Um, and then we created a web series where we interviewed people behind those posts and communities and eventually made this podcast where we are focusing on those interviews. And today we're talking to Murderinos. Why did really you not play the sound sorry, effect
3: you, did you need the sound effect <laughs> there? You yeah, are
1: fucking useless. Ugh. <sighs> I was overemphasizing. You couldn't tell where it should go. i That was partly my fault. Sorry, I'm not a trained Jared, actor. Why I don't are know
2: you victim-blaming yourself?
1: <laughs> Just like those innocent victims of these murders. Ah! Well, folks, uh, so... What is a murderino?
2: Actually, funny you should ask. I wrote down the definition. A person with an obsessive interest in true crime. But specifically, right. it is used to describe the fandom of this other podcast called My Favorite Murder, which is bigger than Mark Marin's podcast, NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and Two Girls One podcast.
1: Is it really?
2: It's crazy. Yeah.
1: Well, the oh, last yeah. I saw six <laughs> months ago, they had 19 million monthly downloads.
2: Oh, my God. Oh,
1: my God. Monthly.
2: Yeah, it's so much higher than I can count.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so clearly this is a huge obsession and it's a predominantly female community as far as I've heard and have been reading Um, and it's a lot online Facebook Reddit today specifically we're talking to the creator and moderator of the unofficial fandom on Reddit r slash my favorite murder. Uh, And we're really excited to dig into what this obsession is all about What being a part of a community around this obsession can do for you and why there are so many freaking many of them
2: (laughs) I actually do think this is this is super different than any of our other episodes in my opinion So I am looking forward to it because It's the fandom of another podcast, but it's really grown into its own huge community and it's like I don't know. I just think it's like so different than other things we've looked at. It's like this obsession with murder and how it helps people process misogyny. And there's like all these mental health connections and things. And, uh, and it's just grown into this huge, huge community with millions of people on its own. They've got, um, Hundreds of different subgroups from what I saw, and they almost all have in-person meetups as well. So this podcast has really spawned a fervent community that looks at this like very particular thing. Question. Yes. No, no.
3: Should mm-hmm. we start a recap podcast of the other podcast?
2: Probably. It would probably be, be quite popular. popular. <laughs> it probably would be. It would probably <laughs> more be popular more than popular this. than this podcast. God damn it. <laughs> this is so upsetting. I'm going to go on a murderous rampage. No, but it's like weird. <laughs> it's weird though. It's like, but it is. It's like, you know, is it because there's a lot of talk about like, is it ethical or appropriate to like make jokes about murder? Right. Jury's right. still out. Well,
1: jury is still out. And uh, from what I've seen, I guess the hosts have received some backlash around this, but you know, people are really on board for what they're doing. So there must be some therapeutic com- uh, component. I think there's a lot of advocacy that's come out of it. Um, I read something about any uh, proceeds that come from uh, merchandise that people buy around the show gets donated to local police departments to help them to test the untested backlog of rape kits that are in local police departments. So, wow. okay. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
3: I, I'm fascinated by the distinction of like true crime shows and podcasts, you know, Netflix shows and whatever. They became super popular. And a lot of them were like documentaries and uh, journalism, investigative journalism, trying to prove innocence or solve the mystery. And that was a big phenomenon. This is not that. This is just uh, not just, but it, it but it is two uh, fun hosts just chit chatting about murders.
2: Yeah, they're very Real open murders, about the right? fact, actually, that I do this as well as you, or I used to in early episodes, but they're very honest about like, if you want actual facts, go to CNN. Like they're not like they don't <laughs> even necessarily have all the facts. Right. You know, sure. Um, sure. Right. It's fascinating. But I just I don't know. It's it's spawned a really distinct and peculiar community. Anyone know any good murders lately? You know what? The <laughs> California state killer was recently caught, which is crazy because of genetic testing. Isn't that wild?
1: Is this the twenty-three in me thing that you were telling me I about? Don't,
2: uh I don't think it was twenty-three in me, but yeah, it was really it was one of the genetic testing sites Uh, but the crazy thing is i was watching this video that was like oh our privacy is being violated by these genetic databases and that's how they found this serial murderer and rapist and i was like what is the problem (laughs) i will give away all my (laughs) dna (laughs) i got it okay so you found a rapist that went free for 30 years Sign me up! Like I, that argument doesn't yeah, fly. There are I, other reasons why twenty three and on the sliding
3: scale is, of privacy concerns. Yeah,
2: <laughs> right. yeah, there are other reasons why maybe you should be concerned. Yeah. Uh, like people who anonymously yeah. donated sperm are being contacted by adult children thirty years later. But <laughs> in terms of catching killers, I'm on board.
1: So what did the California state killer do? He was a serial killer?
2: He killed and raped a fuck ton of women.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> sorry i didn't yep. know i didn't there know. you go okay. there you go i did not know either okay
2: well it's big news over here because i'm in california right
3: why don't we play a quick clip of my favorite murder just so people who are not familiar with the show if there's anyone on planet earth who has not heard this show uh including me uh we'll get a little context here, so all clip. the men yeah exactly
4: So Texas state law at the time says that anyone who dies within 24 hours of being admitted to a hospital has to undergo an autopsy before being embalmed or buried. That's a good rule. It is a good rule. But John has Joan taken to a funeral home before anyone has a chance to perform an autopsy within four hours of her death. No, dude. He rushes that body over to the funeral home. Then she's embalmed within an hour of arriving at the funeral home. Fuck. He fast tracked it. So then a doctor shows up at the funeral home to do the do- autopsy anyway. Oh,
5: and he cool. notices
4: there's maroon um, discoloration on her pancreas, and he determines she died from pancreatitis. Um, Ash gets other doctors' opinions. They all say it's an unlikely cause of death, hmm. for, especially for what she had gone through. On the morning of her funeral, March 21st, 1969, Ash goes to the assistant DA... And his name's I.D. McMaster, and he accuses John Hill of killing his daughter.
2: So I listened to one of their live tapings, and it's like they're the fucking Beatles. It is The the amount of screaming is insane. (laughs) It's insane. They're so popular. It blew my mind. I mean, like women shrieking like, yeah, it's crazy. Why doesn't that happen for (laughs) us?
1: I don't know. People are probably doing that at home. We just don't know that they're doing it. Yeah, every yet. time
2: give someone time. downloads yeah, time. And the circle completes and it's like Your download is complete, people just like shriek yeah. oh. Do you think that happens? <laughs> like they download the front, they're like oh, no, no, no.
1: Cool. I mean you guys let us know, you can tweet at us And let us know, I would like to know
2: Yeah. I mean my voice sounds like one big shriek So I think we're good Alright, is it time for trivia? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you guys want some murder trivia?
2: I mean, yes, please. I guess with today's episode It better be about murder
3: Yeah baby In 2003, not that long ago a 14 year old boy from the UK, that's the United Kingdom, in case you're not hip Thank to the lingo. Thanks, Matt. Was plotting a real murder in an online chat room. I believe it was MSN at the time. Uh, the attempted murder came to pass later that year and it set a huge legal precedent in Britain. Why was this murder plot so special? I have three scenarios for you, which is the true true crime scenario. Are you ready?
1: Yes. Ready.
3: A. The boy used fake online personas to convince his best friend to murder him, making him the first person in UK legal history to be charged with inciting his own murder. That is choice A. Choice B... The boy had multiple personality disorder and was legally recognized as three different people across the internet, so when it came time to prosecute, a judge had some trouble, like legal trouble, pinpointing which person or persona to charge with the crime. Or C, a loophole in British law that protected online speech allowed the boy to get away with the plot completely scot-free. The hole has since been patched by Parliament with the help of legal scholars who specialize in internet communication. Which of these three scenarios actually happened in a 2003 MSN chatroom?
1: Well, I think the third one sounds the most... Plausible, um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, the second one just doesn't seem like it could happen. And the first one, I read a very similar story about something one of the My Favorite Murder live shows covered that I'm wondering if you saw Matt and then created Ooh, that trivia out of. Interesting. Um, but it was something called the Harlem Kevorkian here in New York City where... A motivational speaker convinced a man to murder him and to basically and, and make it look like a suicide and then the man did get charged with murder and anyway okay so i'm going Whoa. with C.
2: okay i was okay. gonna go with c but jen you just made it seem like a is like a normal thing that happens <laughs> 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 i'm gonna stick with c though
3: okay to foresee the loophole in british law we will find out the correct true crime scenario after the break c.
0: Place for gently used religious texts. Craigslist!
3: Hey devils. I own a perfect condition.
0: SATANIC BIBLE!
3: I'd love to trade for maybe some bu bud or gift cards. I'll also take best money offer, plus anything you think I might like, let me know. I might trade you for it. Just call or texts, and I also respond to emails too.
1: Satan has a Bible?
2: I guess so. I'm behind. <laughs> but you know what? I have been reading so many books since I stopped swiping. <laughs>
1: have You You haven't read the Satanic Bible, though?
2: No, what? but maybe I should add that to my list. Maybe that's next.
3: Does it come in an audiobook, and is it oh. read by the author?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Ellie, I'm proud of you.
2: Thank you. Stop swiping. Book a week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Stop swiping. Got
2: smarter.
3: Yeah. (laughs) You were swiping so much that now you can read an entire book. That's a lot of swiping.
2: (laughs) Well, I think, I think the, well, yes, A, absolutely. Also, it was like a really horrible habit where I would just like swipe, swipe, swipe before bed. Now I read before bed Which is also kind of a bad habit because the books I've been reading are really good and then i'm like Oh, I can read a little longer and i'm like i'm not going To bed till like Later than I should considering i'm a fucking insomniac but yeah anyway <laughs> So yeah, it's been great. I'm uh, just gonna die alone and that's fine. And speaking of death, let's hear about that trivia. Woo.
3: Well, I'm glad you asked. Today's trivia is about an attempted murder. Uh, This happened in 2003, a 14 year old boy from the United Kingdom plotted a real murder in an online chat room. And there was a very interesting scenario that played out. A, the boy used fake online personas to convince his best friend to murder himself. B, the boy had multiple personality disorder and it was hard to figure out who to charge with the murder. Or C, a loophole in British law protected online speech and allowed him to get away with the plot. You guys both went with choice C. You thought that was the most plausible one.
1: That's correct.
4: Yeah.
3: The correct answer to this MSN chatroom mystery murder plot is A. He is the first person in you UK law. You were right, law. Jen.
2: You should have gone with your reading material.
3: <laughs> yeah, I had never heard about that Harlem one that yeah. you mentioned, but yeah. this this was another case. I don't know if it was before or after, but uh, the, the first one in recorded uh, British law where someone was charged with inciting murder of himself. I don't think the boy's name is written about in, in the, the journalism that was done. This is a piece in Vanity Fair. Uh, from 2006. So kind of looking back at this 2003 event, uh, this seems to have been a very troubled and depressed uh, person who I guess wanted to commit suicide, but wanted to figure out a different way to do it. Uh, a lot of twists and turns here, but essentially created at least six uh, fake personas in MSN chat rooms and then found his friend or best friend, as the story goes in this uh, journalism, and convinced him to murder his, himself or convince the friend to murder his his friend. Um, one of the personas that he pretended to be in the chat was like a high-ranking uh, secret service uh, person, a woman who like in the you know the the spy agency for for Britain um, and it was some convoluted plot about like this you know had to kill this guy and eventually the friend, stabbed his friend in an alley, I think at least twice, once in the stomach and was bleeding out, ran away from the crime uh, and everyone survived. And I believe both kids, uh, they pleaded guilty and they both received probation. But like in British law, the judge was like, we've never had someone try to murder themselves. Like suicide is one thing, but he was trying to incite another person to, to stab him. It was, it was a new, a new legal frontier at the time.
2: Jesus fucking Christ. See, stories like this make me not want to live in the world. I know. Mm. So many, so many issues here. Ah. (laughs) All right. Let's have our guest unpack them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go.
1: We're speaking now to the creator and moderator of the unofficial My Favorite Murder subreddit, r slash Murder. Her username is Tina Belcher for Prez. We're not using her real name, uh, but welcome, Tina. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So I wanted to kick this off by asking you, when did your interest in true crime and murder start? And when did you discover and how did you discover My Favorite Murder?
5: I think I'm an interesting um, fan of the podcast in that true crime did not drive me to them. So I actually started listening to My Favorite Murder after hearing Georgia and Karen, the two hosts, um, on a separate podcast. And I enjoyed their interaction. So I started listening to their podcast. And then my um, interest in true crime actually derived a little bit more out of their podcast. Wow. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay, so chicken or the egg situation. And for yeah. you, it was the one that second. Okay, cool. Um. So how did you end up becoming such a fan and, you know, running this subreddit?
5: So I think um, most of the murderinos will probably agree with me in stating that. Um, Georgia and Karen, when they would be discussing uh, true crime, it was a topic, but it wasn't everything that they discussed in their podcast. And so they were very raw and very open about um, mental health issues and just having maybe some of these weird fears that maybe have driven them to true crime, to enjoy true crime. Um, So I was really enjoyed just their interaction. So I just have a fascination with Reddit as well. And it was not the first um, subreddit that I had created and moderated, but it is by far the most successful. So when I saw a community being built around the podcast um, and some of the communities on Facebook, I am not the type who is going to interact on the ones on Facebook. So I decided to create one on um, Reddit in order to offer that style of interaction as well.
1: Before we get too far along, I I do want to ask you, Tina, why is this show so freaking popular, (laughs) this podcast? You know, why is the community so large? What is the true crime fascination, do you think, overall? And I know, you know, it's a predominantly female community, as far as I've heard of fans. So anything you have to say around that, we'd love to know a little bit more.
5: Sure. I think that, um, so the podcast was created about three years ago, and this was in the rise of true crime documentaries on Netflix. I believe it was post or right alongside when Serial, um, the first of a season was coming out of that podcast. And, um, you know, so people started, I think, paying attention to true crime a little bit more. I think why these this show in particular sort of blew up was not only the host focus on talking about things that are hard, so mental health issues, um, past, you know, uh, vices that may have uh, stumbled them at different parts in their life, but I think people who enjoy true crime were scared to say that publicly because, you know, Even the podcast name, My Favorite Murder, can kind of have criticism attached to it, because obviously murder is a very um, intense and emotional and obviously devastating to the family members. But it is also something very fascinating and very uh, um, kind of macabre, kind of this idea that it's weird to say you like it. And all of a sudden here was this bastion of women who said, I enjoy talking about it. It actually helps um, them either, well... I guess you could argue whether or not it helps them with their anxiety. Uh, Some of them, it kind of drives more anxiety. Um, Their tagline (laughs) of stay sexy and don't get murdered was more of a driven from a fear that, you know, when they're out alone at night, that they are constantly thinking about their surroundings in kind of this anxious way. Um, And so here are these women that were out there talking about their mental health issues and also their fears of thinking about whether or not they were gonna get murdered. Uh, really kind of brought a group of people together who never had anyone else say these um, say these things or even to, to connect with someone else who also enjoys that type of idea.
1: And wasn't it true that the co-hosts had begun their own sort of online forums and there was some backlash or what was the story
5: with that? True. So the Facebook, they did have an official... Um, Facebook group. And I think that's where it got a little tricky is because they were both moderators on it. Of course, they had um, help from volunteers, but it was an officially endorsed uh, Facebook group that was uh, advertised on the podcast. And so that added some layers of complexity because when something wouldn't go right, right? so to speak, in a very large community on the internet, then they were being specifically called out. And one thing that they tend to get called out on a lot is maybe if something wasn't done politically correct. So the podcasters, uh, Karen and Georgia, they had a lot of focused on learning how to speak about maybe marginalized people. Mm-hmm. So at first, when they first started the podcast, they were very... Um, open to correction. And so, for example, they were telling a story about a murder of a prostitute. And then the next episode, they had a whole section about how we should be using the term sex worker rather than prostitute. And so they really lended themselves to taking this constructive criticism. I think that's where they kind of set themselves up to be easily called out. Mm -hmm. So what happened was on the Facebook group, as it had grown, I think the last time I was looking up numbers on it, it was close to 200,000 users. Um, And obviously, with such a large group, you get a lot of uh, difference of opinions. And so the big drama that happened, and this was in last fall, so fall of 2018, I can actually look back because it was a large spike in um, page views into Reddit (laughs) because there was a mass exodus from the Facebook group. But the main drama happened surrounding some merchandise that was uh, created by um, officially by the podcast. And on the um, shirt in particular, uh, there was a quote of theirs, which is stay out of the forest. And on the shirt, there was a teepee. and so there was some cultural appropriation uh, call-outs and some differences of opinions of whether or not that was considered cultural appropriation. Um, and then so they took the shirt down, but then there was even con- uh, criticism on whether or not they took it down fast enough. And so it oh, kind of no. snowballed from there.
2: <laughs> yeah. I-, I hate when people get in trouble for trying to do the right thing like it seems it's like you know it seems like they're so open to corrections and then to be harassed that you're like not taking it down fast
5: enough i don't know
1: but you think a large part of why people were so vocal is because they themselves were available to be spoken to right like they they were open to get feedback
5: exactly and they um interact with their fans Uh, so they do it through a number of ways through social media they'll reply to twitters um even uh, have conversations with people through instagram comments they also started doing live shows and then they had VIP packages where they did meet and greets. Um, so they'd be also very accessible to the fan base.
2: All right. But let's let's talk about how these two paths diverged. There was a lot of backlash with the hosts running their own fan page. So then a lot of these other groups popped up. Can you tell us about that?
5: Sure. So um, from the very beginning, there was already multiple Facebook groups at the time It was like a group of people finally got together with some type of core understanding, but then even themselves diverged off. So, there was the main Facebook group, of course, and then there was hundreds of offshoots. And it was a lot of um, locational-based ones. So, maybe you were from, um, say, Iowa or Illinois, then there would be an an Illinois Murderino group, and you can maybe even do uh, local meetups. Um, So, it did... Splinter off. There is even a massive. Um, the Office fans, uh, who are also murderinos, had a massive group. Um, oh my God! Is cats, there fan fiction for that?
2: Like slash
5: <laughs> crossover? Uh, I mm-hmm. I would hope so.
2: <laughs> I'm going to be googling that later. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, the cats kind of play a large role in the podcast. There is um, Georgia has a particular cat who um, is one of the sign offs. Uh, his meow so there was also a very large uh, group of people who were um, they called themselves the meowderinos um, and so the, very the, on board the, with that <laughs> there was already a ton out there but when the incident happened with the t-shirt and there's also a side incident that happened with a moderator who approved a post with a lot of racial undertones to it that they splintered off and they essentially shut down the official group and then that created a, another large group, which they just named the Dumpster Fire, which was essentially what kind of came out of the Dumpster Fire that was the original <laughs> Facebook okay. group. Um, and so they're owning so it ma- and celebrating it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> there tended to be some uh, uh, a lot of splintering then at that point. So how many people are in your subreddit? We currently have just over 75,000 um, subscribers. Of course, that isn't always your active users.
2: And can you tell us some of the common conversations that happen on the subreddit,
5: aside from just talking about episodes? Sure. So the the general discussion is, um, so every week I put up a discussion thread for each episode, so that does hone in a lot of um, comments. The community itself probably drives the conversation more than, say, true crime. So there's also a lot of discussion about um, Their catchphrases and how that kind of implicates in real life so for example recently we had to um, put a rule in place for people to stop posting dresses that had pockets in it (laughs) so that's kind of a niche conversation that had happened between the two hosts on the podcast about how excited they are when dresses have pockets and it it ended up flooding the subreddit with lots of women posting pictures of themselves in dresses with pockets Um, so a lot of their catchphrases uh, get turned into either merchandise or fan art and even just a lot of memes that might have to do somehow. I think if you were to drop into the subreddit you would often be confused if you were looking for a true crime subreddit because you're going to see um, a variety of topics like finding things in walls or even sinkholes which have nothing to do with true crime but uh, it was talked about. Uh, at length in the podcast. And so it's kind of a topic for the community.
1: You mentioned, um, you know, the idea of being alone out on the streets at night, the fears that we all have. I was curious, is self-defense or sort of vigilance (laughs) ever a conversation that comes up in the subreddit?
5: Absolutely. So one of their first, and I would even say main taglines that have come out of their conversation is fuck politeness and that is you know kind of a fun thing to say but they really drive home the importance of um, women today not putting themselves into positions just because they're trying to be polite Um, so if you are uncomfortable with something and or if someone has approached you and you're uncomfortable with it and you maybe defaultly want to just be polite back to the person, that that's not necessarily the safest route and that it's okay to essentially fuck politeness and tell the person to fuck off and, and, to, and to exit a situation. That's very powerful. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> God. Are there other lessons like that that people talk about
5: on the subreddit? Um, I think another main—it all has to do with these kind of catchphrases. And the best part about the catchphrases, I think, from the community or how the community would say that, is that this is organic conversation. So the podcast that uh, my favorite murder is not scripted. It has a beginning portion where they kind of banter, and then they tell their each tell their quote unquote favorite uh, murder or for episode. And a lot of these things that come out of it these phrases are just at the whim of the um of georgia and karen of course they both have training as um, comedians so they're inherently a naturally funny people so another one is to stay out of the forest or you're in a cult call your dad um so a lot of times you know a lot of things can happen around cults and it's it's very apparent sometimes that the people involved in the cults don't even realize that they're in a cult um so that's, that can be things that can be talked about as well.
2: I recently met someone who was in a cult and he said he didn't realize he was in a cult till he watched the Scientology documentary, which I thought wow. was very
5: amusing. <laughs> yeah. And actually the, you're in a cult call your dad phrase comes out of the pod or the episode that they did where they talked about the Scientology leader's wife that's been mi- oh, missing for like Ms. four Coverage? years. Yes. Yes. Um, so that that actually, that phrase came out of the discussion of Scientology. I didn't oh, know yeah. she where's, was where's, missing. Where is she? Where'd she go? Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> so have members been sharing their own stories about how this helped them? Like either, um, you know, not being polite when something's kind of suspicious.
5: Um, Absolutely. So they that is actually a main item that you will hear out of people in the community is how much Karen and Georgia has helped them. I think a lot of people see it as um, realizing they maybe need assistance in therapy or have mental health issues, or were, knew they had some issues but maybe didn't know how to reach out or had the courage to reach out to professional help. It's something it's um, sort of become a pillar of the podcast. They have a lot of um, you know discussion of their own therapy sessions, but also. They usually have at least a 30 second tag of if you need help, you know, reach out. It's amazing what therapy can do. So there's usually a lot of thank you posts of, you know, thank you. I, I didn't address my alcoholism. And, and then I finally had the courage because of the community and everyone is very supportive. So um, being a mental health support group is part of it as well.
2: And what do you think is the connection between true crime and mental health?
5: From my experience of the community and the podcast and even my own friends who enjoy the podcast, they tend to be people who do have a little bit of anxiety, just a generalized anxiety Um, And I think it's because you often then end up thinking about what could go wrong and your mind might trail down into some nasty, you know, what if this person walking next to me in the parking lot is all of a sudden going to murder me, throw me in the trunk and and take me out to the middle of nowhere. So I'm not sure if that is the connection. That's the connection I would maybe (laughs) put together that if you have anxiety, you tend to have worst case scenario run through your head. And oftentimes that ends in murder.
2: That's interesting, though, because for me, if I'm thinking of worst case scenario, the last thing I want to do is listen to a murder podcast and be reminded of it. <laughs> so like, that so is true. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, like, what's the connection where people are like, I have anxiety. I'm going to go
5: listen to murder stories. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I I think it's maybe finding someone else and knowing someone else thinks that can bring comfort because um, you may be feeling very isolated and that you're even nervous to tell your best friend that. I just had a weird scenario play out in my head for the last five minutes driving home. Um, And here's two ladies talking about it openly and addressing that. That is odd that I have that fear, but it also is odd that I'm connecting it to, you know, a real life story that could actually make me more scared.
1: Are there men in this community? And
5: Yes. What's that <laughs> I all did about? Make, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to make sure we clarify that this is not a female-only um, community. My husband is actually someone who listens. Okay. So it, it is, although a primarily female-oriented, uh, there are definitely males. And it is actually a conversation that has come up on the subreddit of males feeling maybe a little ostracized because they also have... Um, oh, poor man! <laughs> exactly. We like murder. <laughs> we like murder, too. <laughs> yeah. Toxic masculinity ruins the party again is another tagline that they have, <laughs> and how sometimes the hosts can be a little bit retractive to, well, of course it's the male in the storyline who's going to kill the female sort of thing, and, and some men have spoken up that they feel that, that overall generalization is actually a very um, big negative as oh well. my
2: gosh hashtag not all men I'm not into that <laughs> argument all right like look at the stats it's men doing it that doesn't mean that I think all men are fucking murderers
5: exactly exactly
2: why do you think that it is so uh, female dominated
5: I think the hosts it really drives back to the host of the podcast there is and I don't know if anyone of course I'm sure you guys have fans as well who listen to your podcast, and they think, oh, you know, Allie and Jen—they're my friends." You know, they kind of you feel this intimate connection with someone who you listen to week after week after week, but you've never interacted with them face to face. So, I think some of it does derive from the fact that the two hosts um, um, are are female, and and they also discuss these things. Now there is a caveat that they have a producer who speaks on the podcast as well and his name is Steven, so there is a male component in that. Sounds familiar. Well. That? Hey. Yeah, exactly. We need a smart or more person. Oh
1: God, Matt. What? You know what,
2: Matt? <laughs> there was so many levels of wrong. Also
1: who are you referring to?
4: Himself. Hmm? He
1: was referring no, to no. himself. No. 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 I'm
4: All right, interested.
1: In uh, like any sort of advocacy or, or doing good that's come out of this as well. Um, I said this poorly earlier in the episode, but I was reading about the host urging listeners to donate to. It's called End of Backlog, the nonprofit uh, with timely testing for rape kits uh, with law enforcement. So I was curious: is that something people discuss? Has that kind of had a ripple effect with helping
5: in any way? I think so. You know, that's kind of become the charity of choice. One thing I do see is these local meetups. And, you know, maybe with other online communities and even Reddit has a national meetup day, they usually just go to a bar, maybe have a beer, and then head home. The Murderino community usually takes action. So you'll see a lot of people saying, hey, in Seattle on this day, we're going to go play bingo. It's going to be for charity, and we're going to donate those funds to end the backlog. Um, Because they... A lot of times in these unsolved stories that they bring up over and over again, there's a lot of reference to, and the rape kit was taken and it's sitting in an evidence locker untested. So wow. it's it's essentially, um, you know, calling for some more focus on making sure that we're actually falling through in the justice system uh, to call out, obviously, offenders.
2: That's insane. Uh, this is a little dark, but so is the whole episode. So whatever. Do you mm-hmm. have any. Um, true crime victims or family members or anything like
5: joining these communities or reaching out in any way there's been two major things that have happened one positive one one negative one negative um the primary i think situation people will reference is that when they've done live tours and so when they do these live tours they're essentially recording a podcast live they structure the uh, live show the same way they would structure their podcast episode and they, they were in australia and um recording and they started down a story about a local policewoman who was murdered and it turns out that a few family members were in the audience so oh. either the family members in the audience didn't get the memo of what that show was about um oh, shit! Can, they showed up to this and didn't know at, it's unsure if they knew or not. And, and the stories are not public prior to them showing up and speaking. So it's not like you see you're on your ticket stub that they're going to go over, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing or something like that. Right. Um, they actually keep it a secret between themselves they don't even tell the other host so even the host is kind of like ooh surprised you know when a different story might come up
2: but they do don't they cover a local murder at every stop they
5: do it tends to be local a lot of times they'll do a lot of history ones i think learning from this experience this experience, um the story they had gone into was a recent one and all of a sudden some family members in the audience just started screaming at them about how it was insensitive and how could they be laughing and making jokes about murder um so it was definitely a big learning experience i think for them that they do have some taglines or some some let's say headers at the beginning where they say we are going to talk about murder we are not joking about the death of someone but we are comedians and we will have a conversation um, so that's been the negative that came out of that.
3: Your family member was recently murdered and then you show up at a live show called My Favorite Murder and you're hoping that nothing goes wrong. I mean, I would think you just Later wouldn't
5: tomorrow. want to go to anything called My Favorite Murder yeah. after that. Yeah. 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 And I think there are theories later on is maybe that person had like a season pass to the theater and just got some tickets to a show that was in town. Oh. Not realizing maybe what was actually Thinking going Thinking it was to a happen. musical? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you said there was a bad story and there was a good one. So the good one is, is that sometimes Karen, one of the hosts, she loves the show I Survived. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. Um, on TV, so sometimes not all of the stories I tell are murder. Sometimes um, even these harrowing "I survived this crazy situation" um, makes it to the show as well. And Karen actually told one about a woman. Um, her name escapes me at the moment, uh, and that woman is still alive and contacted them. Was a fan of the show, and she shows up at a live um, performance and actually gets on stage. And she felt like Karen told her story so well that she was um she felt like her story finally had justice in the way that it was told. And they she's a longtime supporter then from there on of the podcast. So that was someone that was a subject of one of their podcasts who ends up coming back and saying, Thank you, you told my story well. Wow. What
1: are some of the most Popular uh, cases slash episodes that tend to resonate with the community that they do come back to time and again.
5: Probably the number one U.S. story is usually the JonBenet Ramsey. So everyone has a theory as to what happened. Um, they do talk through that. There is the um, like Unabomber. I remember one that I maybe regionally to me was Richard Speck. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that um, no. serial killer out of Chicago. Um, So they do hit the big, quote unquote, you know, um, more mainstream ones, your John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. Um, But then they'll also dip into the history because there's also some, you know, murders out of the 1800s that are very interesting because of the time and the place. And um, so they do hit the big guys.
2: So I read that there are actually meetups in all 50 states and in the UK and Australia. Have you attended a meetup?
5: I have not. I, te- I live in rural, and so <laughs> these tend to happen in the larger cities. So I have not. And I have not um, been able to make it to a live show. I uh, they, The closest one uh, to my hometown did happen in March, but um, I had a baby in January, and so I just couldn't, uh, at a three-month-old, get away from. Thank you. Um,
2: do you know what does happen at these meetups? Have some of the people in your subreddit been discussing it or planning their outings? Or do you know anything about um, them?
5: Yeah, they'll do. A lot of times, it's just like a like a cocktail meet and greet. They do um, custom cocktails. There's been a lot of lists out there of um, maybe having a cocktail named after something in the podcast and having the bars get behind them and, and creation of that. Um, like I spoke earlier, a lot of times I'll do a fundraising um, portion of it as well. I know that they've gone and just attended um, speakers um, like uh, Brene Brown or, or something like that. I think a lot of the members of the community often have isolation issues where they're too nervous to maybe attend an event because of their anxiety And so when five to 20 people say, I'm really anxious about going, but I'm going to go, they end up showing up and making new friends because here's a group of women who may be having the same issues that you have that maybe keeps you inside your house.
2: I also read there was a 2010 study, so long before the podcast, that said that women use true crime stories to process misogynistic violence at large. Do you think that's true? And do you think is that a conversation that comes up in the subreddit?
5: Yes, I would definitely agree with that, um, that study statement as well as seeing it inside of the subreddit. A lot of times we'll see posts on the subreddit where um, women will say, I fucked politeness and survived, and they'll tell the story about how they were in an uncomfortable situation. Maybe someone even recently, um, someone had posted that they, a gentleman was um, exposing himself to her in an alley. In how she essentially took some of the advice from the podcast and turned it around and filed charges against the the guy.
2: Is there anything, though, about just like helping them mentally process just the the amount of violence? I also read that there's, um, you know, really been some overlap with the Me Too community and things like that.
5: Yeah, I think a lot of the booming of the community was kind of these side-by-side um, events that were all happening at once. The Rise in True Crime documentaries on Netflix, um, the Me Too movement, and the uh, Rise of True Crime podcast as well. And I think that um, they found inside of the Murderino community someone else who had that same um, voice that was that was um, encouraged. Karen and Georgia on the podcast will get political and um, they're not scared to say where their allegiance lies, especially during the Me Too movement, having both of them be in LA. Both of their jobs prior to this had to do with the entertainment um, community. So they had a lot of things and they to say about the Me Too movement when it was um, first popping up out of there. Something that they said
2: on one of their episodes that I thought was amusing is they said a lot of people are always saying like, Oh, there's been a new fascination with true crime, and there's a rise in interest right now. But they were telling about how, in like nineteen thirty four someone ripped the door off the courthouse so that more people could observe this murder trial. So their point was that, like we've always had a fascination with it. Yes. so what do you how do you think the internet has
5: changed that fascination? I think the fascination I think has to do with globalization, in my opinion. So here, you know, maybe there was a story in your hometown that maybe gripped the the community. And now those same stories can grip a nation. Um, and I think especially looking back at like the O.J. Simpson trial, especially for the JonBenet Ramsey one, that was something that kind of went from maybe on the local news to all of a sudden it was this nationwide um Debate of of kind of what happened, and actually, I think there's a large rise in um, crowd sourcing information to solve these crimes. There's a lot of other subreddits out there that focus more on um, true crime and trying to solve them, uh, and I think that that's an interesting tie in. Is that they have so my favorite murder blossomed so large in a um, business standpoint that they actually created a whole podcast network. And on that network, they have um, a new podcast that essentially is a storytelling of a current unsolved uh, crime, but also then crowdsourcing the listeners to help them solve it. Has that been effective in any cases yet? I'm not sure. I don't think I'm far enough down that um, down that community to understand that in its full.
2: I read that in the wake of the solving of the Golden State Killer case, which was solved through genetic databases that people are actually now in droves signing up so that their data can help so that their DNA can help solve crimes. Uh, Which is sort of funny because there's also another side of the community of the, of like the tech world that's saying like, don't do this. It's an invasion of privacy, but people are actually signing up to help.
5: Has that been a conversation in the Murderino community? It is. And they had a very, um, a large connection to the Golden State Killer being caught. So I'm not sure if you're very familiar with Michelle McNamara and her book. Um no. Okay. So I would like she to was- say yes. Like I'm super well researched. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. She is Patton or she was Patton all's um Oswald's wife. And she had uh, been working for nearly a decade on um a book to catch the Golden State Killer. She was convinced that there was more clues as to who it was. And unfortunately, she died probably a couple years ago, and her book was posthumously published for her, but she actually had personal connections with Karen and Georgia as friends. And so I think that also kind of um, drove uh, this kind of conversation to focus on the Golden State Killer, because her book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, um, is an interesting angle, and it came out about six months before he was caught. And so Paul Holes, who is the lead detective on Catching the Golden State uh, Killer, is uh, now good friends with Georgia and Karen and actually has a podcast on their not- network now. Wow. So he has been a special <laughs> guest a few times. <laughs>
2: yeah. And so are you are you seeing people talking about how they're all like rushing to do 23 me or something or has that not really come up?
5: Um, it's interesting. It's come up as more of a debate. And I think it's the same debate you referenced where people are very excited to offer up their DNA. And then there's people saying, but you could be damnifying your third grand, uh, great granddaughter in the future. Um, so kind of this... This idea that I'm it is okay with very- that if
2: my great granddaughter in the future is murdering people.
5: Right. And I think something that also comes up on the podcast a lot is a lot of framing. So it does catch people if the evidence is um, correct. But if the evidence is planted, it could, um, or maybe mishandled, it could lead to a false charge.
2: Yeah. It's interesting because we don't know yet because these crimes have using DNA. Databases haven't really. I don't think they've gone to trial yet, so we don't know. But then the other thing that's interesting is like we don't know if they have any more false positives essentially than
5: other right. methods. Exactly. I think. I think it, don't it quote me on that. Yeah, it definitely drives a lot of discussion and debate. Um, there's just like you said. There's some people who are offering up their DNA, and then there's people who are hesitant and wondering if this is a. You know, what else are they going to use those stats for?
1: Well, Tina, I have one more question for you. Does mm-hmm. embracing our morbid interests together make us stronger, <laughs> and
5: why? <laughs> <laughs> I would say yes. I think sometimes looking at the morbid opens our eyes. You kind of look back and you hear these stories from the seventies and the eighties of latch ki- you know, latchkey kids, and you know, leaving the house and not coming home. Until the streetlights come on, as a you know, as a kid, and and we kind of wonder in the today's constant contact sort of world, you know, what what's changing? I think the changing is understanding that it could happen, and it could happen to you. Because most people that this happens to, you know, either kidnappings or murders, no one ever thinks one day that's going to happen to me. I'm you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the one that that makes national news because of a horrific story. Right. It's so, so I think random. It's bringing, yeah. It is. And so I think it really sheds light on the possibility. Um, we, I guess we just have to make sure it doesn't drive us all to be um, so scared of one another that we uh, lose that human connection.
1: All right, Tina. Well, thank you for talking about this extremely dark topic with a lot of grace <laughs> and um, enlightening us about the
5: community of murderinos. Well, thanks for having me. I, I had a lot of fun.
1: That is so fascinating to me because to be honest, I've never been a fan of true crime and I'm in the same boat as you, Allie, where it's like, I feel like it would stoke my anxieties to listen to that. Um,
2: it's the last thing I want to <laughs> yeah. do.
1: But maybe I'm just like so strongly <laughs> keeping my fear at bay. Like maybe I'm pretty good at denying that fear at this point. But if I just like let it loose.
2: I think that's th- okay. That's okay. That's okay. No, they- <laughs> deny it. Deny away. Like, sh- deny should, away. What, should I be what, listening? do I want to get nervous at gas stations? <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to think about the randomness of it all I don't know
2: <laughs> Yeah I don't want to think about it anymore I actually like kind of avoid that kind of news I didn't want to talk about that too much But like I kind of hate <laughs> True crime All the murder he knows who tunes in Now just clicks oh. out I think it's great that you guys do But for me it's like the school shooting stuff Like I don't I I kind of avoid it. I
1: actively it. get depressed or can't stop thinking yep, about it or yep. I'll like, dream about all the gory details. you know, like if it, it gore really gets me. Yeah, yeah,
2: I don't need nightmares when I finally fucking fall asleep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true. Yeah, truth. so uh,
2: it's really interesting though cuz like I, you know what? I find it so interesting because I am wrong, <laughs> <laughs> which not to say that I expect to be right, but it's like if you told me, "Hey, Let's launch a podcast where we discuss murders, but it'll be a comedy podcast. I would be like worst idea ever, (laughs) but it's insanely popular. So I guess as you guys know, like I'm always fascinated just by how large groups of people are so fervently into something that like I potentially haven't even heard of. Honestly, I find country music just as mind blowing. (laughs) I went to Nashville with my mom a few years ago and everyone's singing along to songs I've never even heard of. And I was like, whoa, these singers I've never heard of have like millions of fans.
3: I think it's the most popular (laughs) genre, if you can call it that. Like if you're measuring downloads and stuff, which is a bunch of bullshit because like I think most country is just pop music. Like it's very good pop songs sung by talented singers. There's nothing like- No, it's
2: so different. It's so different. I actually kind of love country music now. There's like a whole narrative. There's like stories. There's an arc. Pop music is just like- What's that fucking Rihanna song? Rih- about, Rihanna? Um, this- Rihanna. Rihanna? Rihanna. Sorry, Rihanna. <laughs> Rihanna. Uh, I like sex. I don't care the smell of it. Whatever. Like this. Is like, just, they're like, so okay, fucking okay. foul. I, you know I maybe? guess
3: uh, you're... you're Country's wow. like,
2: you were on your front porch. I was wearing a t-shirt. least just like, ostracizing <laughs>
3: everyone <came> today. Yeah. <laughs> It's like here Three elderly, it's elderly like grandparents story. talk about the music that the kids are listening to. <laughs> yeah, but was, to. No, anyway, there, has been, there have been stories in pop is, music
2: going well, forever. Well, it's fascinating. Yeah. No, it's, but pop music nowadays is like, baby, nowadays, baby, baby. It, Listen, That's I true. love pop music. Like, I go to this place called Booty SF as frequently as possible because all they play are pop mashups. If a 12-year-old is listening to it, I'm I can in. can attest to that. But don't tell me there's like a lyrical <laughs> yeah. arc, okay?
3: It depends what pop music yeah. you're listening but
1: to. Country, but country as an art, what, what you're struggling anyway, with is, is, is that there are yeah. universal, seemingly almost universal phenomena out there that we don't necessarily understand, <laughs> and that's weird. Um, well, just that it's also so, so yeah. popular. You know, it's not niche right. at
2: all. Like, it's true crime is wildly popular, country music, wildly yeah. popular, and I had no idea. But I would
1: probably be into sort of the more informal take on it that these women are having, and definitely the feminist take, but uh, did you ever listen to Serial?
2: You, I never did, <laughs> and I'm from Baltimore. Then you know, the
1: person who created it. <laughs> No, oh. no 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 that's
2: that's no 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 that's that's oh, S-Town, uh, S-Town, S-Town. Okay. and i did okay. listen to that because mm. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah i was just i was curious about your thoughts on that yeah
2: but i've never listened yeah. to serial which is yeah. terrible but yeah, I was like, "Oh, murder! Uh, I could do something else." You know what I, I mean? I'm
1: not. Su-
3: I'm not surprised by it at all. People used to gather in the town square in the Middle Ages to watch people being beheaded. Like we love death, uh, and we not That still happens stop. in
2: certain countries.
3: There you go. You know, so like, there's no- and and you'd bring the whole family. You know, you'd bring the kids mm-hmm. to watch that. Like there, there's no. It's not shocking that mm-hmm. we're like, "Ooh, what are the grisly details of this story?" Like that makes sense to me. It's not for me. My Uh, it's not a fear, but I guess my overarching like media concern is the same one about news of like watching cable news or reading internet news is like, all you see are murders, car crashes, fires. And these things are actually quite rare statistically, like, like the chances of you being murdered, not very high. But if you listen to murder stories every single week, and then you talk about murder in your subreddit every single day, Uh, there's this you can get this irrational fear of statistically Mm -hmm. low things Mm -hmm. same with school shootings like it's a major concern in our country but like statistically speaking it's not you know it's not going to happen to you you know with the with the asterisk you you know i know know what i mean
2: well, m- massive gun violence is a huge cause of death in the U.S. Yeah. Sure,
3: sure, but 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 uh, if you if you drill down to those statistics, it's not. I don't believe it's actually school shootings. I think it's people carrying guns and shooting each other over lo- love affairs or or you know racism or whatever. It's not mass shootings. It's like we have way too many guns in this country and we're like not regulating them at all. School shootings is is a piece of that. But what and and people are being murdered right now with guns. All the time, but the news isn't covering it until there's a a school shooting, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it's wall to wall coverage. And we think that school shootings happen all the time when they don't actually happen all the time. You know what I mean? And I'm not belittling that event or the or the issue at all. Right.
1: I I hear what you're saying. Matt, you're a horrible person. (laughs) (laughs) But I hear what you're saying. And it can become irrational when school shootings, you know, i don't want to say when they first began to get like popular but you know when it started happening more and more i think we mm-hmm. all started thinking in public places there were a few movie theater shootings you know whenever i'm in a movie theater i started thinking about what right. what could happen i would become irrationally right. anxious and uh but tempered over time i think it's actually been a healthy thing and that when i'm in public places mm. like that i do i always look for the exits i kind of place myself strategically, you know, but don't overthink it, you know, but sort of am more aware of my surroundings, which as far as I could tell, that's kind of what Tina was saying about, like, you know, just getting to people to think about like being alone at night on the streets and that sort of thing. So it could be healthy when your anxiety is tempered, perhaps to know about these things.
3: Yeah. And, 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 and props to you or anyone who can take that anxiety and like put it to good use. I just worry that there are people who can't, do that and then it becomes like a baseline of anxiety all the time everywhere and and that just is a shitty yeah. way to live i feel i feel right. bad about that
1: well yeah that's a bigger problem with the media right, right. <laughs> um i was thinking in the course of the conversation you know i wonder the hosts i give them a lot of props for bringing some levity to something that is so dark because <laughs> as we were talking i was just like i can't find one thing to even giggle about in this conversation you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah well We want to hear what you all have to say about this. Are you fans of true crime? And if so, what is driving that fascination for you? Uh, You can tweet at me at JuneBugger. I'm at Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. And you can also email us at 2G1Podcast at gmail.com. We love getting your emails. Uh, Sometimes we read them on the show. We also super love getting your voicemails. Uh, So please call us, leave us a message, and we hope to play it on the show and respond to you here that phone number is 347-871-6548.
2: Seven,
0: seven, that number again, 347 871 6 lit. Lit. And
1: last but not least, join our Discord server. Every week, uh, we'll pop in and talk about the week's topic. You can suggest questions for us. You can suggest guests for upcoming shows. We really love to speak with you there. So that's discord.gg 2G1P. And Ali, if they want to make a contribution to us, how do they do
2: that? Patreon.com slash 2G1P.
1: Thanks for joining us, everyone, and all the murderinos out there. We'll see you next week.
0: By Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg, then artfully dismembered and shoved into the trunk of a 1997 Honda Accord. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance for this episode was provided by Sophie Bridges and the Pod This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in depth reporting about life on the internet. <laughs>
3: The Pod A Sonic Universe.
1: I'd love to trade for maybe some ba 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 bud or gift cards.